All right, take your Bibles there. We'll need Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, verses 15 to 16. We're actually read all the way from 11 to 16 uh, to this morning. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let's turn our Bibles there. And this, if you've been with us, then you know that this is, a, we've, this is our third week in our text, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Once again, we listen to, we hear the word of God. And he, that is God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets, as some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Join with me in prayer one more time. Father, we pray that your word would go forth this, this day, that you would accomplish that which you purpose it to do in the lives of each of your people and those who hear your word. We pray that, <clears throat> that you would uh, be our teacher and guide us into your truths, cause us as a church to grow in our understanding of our mission as a church and how we can continue to... Uh, to uh, be faithful and responsible so that you would help this church to grow into the kind of church that you wish us to be. Help us to grow uh, so that we would not only just to be a, a stronger and healthier church, but a church that accomplishes your purpose in our world for us at this time in this corner of our world. We uh, just even now uh, pray for the, uh, the, the church as a whole and pray that you would cause us to be a church that makes disciples of Christ to your glory. We entrust you, uh, this this church body, and just praying that you would do your work in and through us and in and through your word. Uh, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to start off with a, a bit of a rhetorical question, so it's kind of one of those obvious questions, uh, but it's you know it has its purpose. And the question is this, where is Jesus Christ right now? Where is Jesus Christ right now? It's not really. Heaven, the Father, yes. If you said any of those kind of answers, heaven, the Father, in heaven, you are correct. All right, that's good. Good answer, good answer. That's, a, that's, that's what we'd expect. We know that in the Gospels, we, uh, Jesus Christ is, uh, we, the, the Gospel tells us that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven uh, after having commissioned his disciples. And the Apostle Paul, in fact, in the letter to the Ephesians, states very specifically about where Jesus is. In Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, he says that God raised him from the dead, so raised him from the dead, brought him back to life on the third day, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is not named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is in heaven. But he's not just in heaven, like where the angels are hanging out. He's not in the angel lounge, you know. He's not in the, you know, he's not over here with the with these other myriads of angels. He's actually in the the throne room of God, and not just in the throne room of God with some of the select archangels, but he's actually at the right hand of God. 
He's not standing like the angels are standing, or usually they're actually hovering as we when we see pictures, uh, descriptions of them. They're not hovering, waiting basically to at Jesus, God's the Father's will and direction to to serve Him. But He is seated. He's seated because He's His work's done. He's uh, and He is there at the right hand, which is the closest position to God the Father. It's a position of intimacy, a, a position of, of high honor. In fact, as we read in, the, read in this Ephesians 1, 20, 21, he is given the greatest honor of all, the greatest rule, the greatest authority, greatest power, greatest dominion over everything and everyone. There is no one that is named in this world ever to, that is ever to be and ever to come that has a greater authority than Jesus has right now. He, his is ultimate authority and dominion. At the right hand of God the Father. That is Jesus' position now. That's where he's at. In the verse of the fall in Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, we read this. And he put all things, God put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, God has given Jesus, not only a universal dominion over all things, he says he is the head of all things. And even as having stated that he's the head of all things, we cannot help but notice that on earth, we do not see that authority being exercised yet. Yet nevertheless, the scriptures consistently tell us that Jesus has been given all authority. He, he said that even in his great commission, all authority has been granted to me. And then especially when he sits out at the right hand of God the Father, we are told that his uh He is given authority. And though he does not exercise his authority presently, we know that the Bible tells us that one day he will return to exercise his authority. And so the the one who is seated at the position of all authority, who has authority over all things, of all the amazing things that the scriptures tells us, that this one, it says, is given to the church. Jesus Christ the head over all things, the one who has ultimate dominion and authority, is given as head of the church. The church, we find out here, we learn here, and especially with verse 23, is identified closely with Jesus Christ. The church has been as, has a special place of all human institutions with this special identification with Christ, who is the head of it. The church, as, as we see here described, is it's his body, it's his body. Just like Jesus is the head, he's the body. They're inseparable. And then it describes as Jesus is the, the fullness of him. Uh, the church is the fullness of him. That is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Jesus fills everything in, every, in all ways. He's the, he's the ultimate uh, fulfillment of all that this creation points to, essentially. Everything that is in this world that is meant to be filled, that meant to be arrive at a certain a, a place and a, a certain purpose, is all meant to show point to Jesus. And this one has been given to the church. He's the fullness of the church. Uh, the church is the fullness of him. The church is the only entity, organization, you may call it too, that alone bears the fullness of Christ on earth. Think about all the Entities on earth, uh, you know, all the organizations, all the, the corporations, everything that's on earth 
The church alone, the church of the universal church of Jesus Christ alone is designed by God, intended by God. We're told is the fullness of Christ. Everywhere else in our world, the, the world, though it is subjected to his authority, according to the scriptures, is under his authority. The rest of the world does not acknowledge it. You know, we go to, you go to any of the major corporations of our world, uh, and you read about their, their existence, their, their business, their purpose statement to say, very few of them are going to say, well, we, we, uh, we exist to sell this product, et cetera, et cetera, because we're under the authority of Christ. You know, nobody says that. But the church alone is under the authority of Christ. In the church, Jesus' lordship, Jesus' kingdom authority are acknowledged and lived out for all the world to see. Yes, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father now. But the church is where the world can see Christ in his fullness. We cannot look up to heaven and see that fullness. But the world can look at the church on earth and see the fullness of Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is a profound thought. That is a challenging thought for us as a church. We are designed to be the fullness of Christ on earth. This is our responsibility as a church of Christ, to to proclaim him and to present everyone complete in Christ. The Bible calls this process disciple-making. At the beginning of the year, we, we have, we've been taking time to review and remember our purpose as a church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 has provided opportunity for us to review and evaluate how we are growing as a church to make disciples. This passage teaches us that Christ has basically designed the church to grow as, a, as it fulfills its purpose to make disciples through speaking the truth to one another in love. And as we continue our study this week, we've already looked at four points. We're going to take a look again and just remind ourselves how Christ grows his church, how we may go about fulfilling our mission. And Ephesians 4, 11, 16 breaks down to basically six principles for spirit, the spiritual growth of his church. But I want to apply six principles for the spiritual growth of the Bible. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, as I mentioned in previous sermons, is one long sentence. So they all belong together. Even though our English translations breaks it up into sometimes two, three sentences, uh, it really is just one idea that's continuous. In every, t- in every verse, you have to really ask yourself, well, how, what, how does it relate with the verse previous? Anyways, we look at six principles for the spiritual growth. We're going to look at, we looked at the first four. I'll review that in a little bit. And then we're going to look at the, the last two uh, predominantly this morning. All right. Let's go ahead and take a look at this text then. A quick review, first of all. Uh, of the first four principles, the first principle for the spiritual growth of the Bible was the ministry of gifted teachers, right? The, uh, Jesus Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers to the church to equip them, to equip the saints for the work of service. Jesus Christ has given these teachers for her growth. Their, their responsibility is to speak the word of God. They're to teach the doctrines of Christ. So that the people are equipped with the necessary tools for their ministry. You know, a lot of times we think of pastors and, and teachers, we think they should teach us how to do stuff. And there, there is some of that, like how to do uh, God witnessing, how to uh, maybe do some counseling, how to uh, do nursery working, how to, do, uh, uh, how to study your Bible, things like that. And there we do teach those things such as that. But primarily we are to teach and equip you by teaching you the, the doctrines of Christ, the doctrines of the Bible. The, the doctrine such as the existence of God, who he is, a holy and living God, that he's the only God. We teach doctrines such as the curse of sin and how man fell and the curse and that sin's impact upon all mankind, that all of us are born with a sinful nature, condemned 
before a holy God, to be separated from him. The Bible teaches us these important doctrines. It's the, the Savior. All of Scripture points to Christ, right? Points, and we, we can go to many places in Scripture and say how this connects with the coming of Christ and how this points back to when Christ came. And why did he come? He came to die on the cross, to die in our place as a substitute for our sins. The Bible tells us of the response that we are, to call, that we are called to do, that we're called to receive the gift through faith and repentance of sin. These truths are those essential truths, uh, tools that we are to be taught, we are to understand that gifted teachers teach us as a church so that we can then make disciples of Christ. This led us to the second principle, the ministry of the saints. The saints or the Christians or the church, the holy ones, are, we are set apart. It means we're set apart for God's service. And we are to do the work of service, which was, though we think of it as basically the various acts of service that we do, it primarily is the speaking and teaching of the truths of Christ. God uses us as a church when we speak the truths of Christ to one another. It's not just alone the work of the pastor and teacher, not just alone the, the works of, of the evangelist. But we are all called to, in some way, speak the truths of Christ to others. <clears throat> we all have a part in the work. And when we do this, we f- help fulfill the Great Commission to teach others to keep all the Christ commands. The ministry of gifted teachers and the saints is then designed to accomplish a very specific goal, which is our third point. The third principle is the goal of our ministry, which we looked at last week. Gifted teachers teach and equip the saints who, in turn, do the work of the ministry to the building up the body of Christ. And this we do until we all attain to this threefold goal in ministry. Unity, maturity, and conformity to Christ. The church is designed to have a unity of the faith, of our truths, of doctrine, to grow up to a maturity as a church, not to be remain like a child, and to be conformed to Jesus Christ. He is the one who is, the, we are the fullness of him. We understand, we live out the teachings of Christ. That's, that's our goal as a, as a church. We aim for that. And as we do so, then we also, at the same time, need to be aware of the various hindrances or the hurdles to our ministry, which was our fourth principle that we looked at last week. And that is, <clears throat> our own immaturity basically stands in the way. And immaturity is not wrong because we are all immature at one point. When you're born as a child, you're born a little baby, you're immature. For the first 18 years, you're immature. For the first 25 years, you still might be immature. And then, <clears throat> and so on. Then you, somewhere along the way, you grow maturity, right? So it's okay, but we need to be understand that when we're young Christians especially, when we're new Christians, we're, we're like children. We're, we're immature. We're unstable. We're susceptible to false doctrine. And, but as we are taught and as we grow in our understanding of the doctrines of Christ, we slowly overcome those hurdles. We no longer waver in our faith when circumstances don't go the way we expect. We no longer start saying, oh, I'm not sure if I'm really saying I need to pray the prayer to receive Christ again, as, as a lot of times we, we've done. We no longer are people who are chasing after the latest fads or the latest, latest trends in Christianity because, oh, I heard there's a 40 days of purpose. Oh, wait, now there's a 41 days of purpose. And have you heard there's 43 days now? It's the new and improved version. No, there's not really that, but you know what I mean. Okay, uh, we no longer, as a church, will be people who church hop every few months, every few years because, like, oh, this, this church is not meeting my needs. I got to go somewhere else when, you know, maybe God wants us to stay in a place and learn to accept the church like a family warts and all and love it and be loved by the church and 
and uh, as uh, I ha- as I have with you, many of you, uh, only a steady diet of the teachings of Christ guards us from being immature, unstable, and susceptible uh, to false doctrines. So, all those are the first four principles of ministry that helps grow as a bomb grows Christ's church. And what has been inferred in this whole passage is now explicitly stated in verse 15. This is what gifted teachers equip the saints to do. This is what helps us to accomplish the goal and helps us to overcome the hurdles of our ministry. The fifth principle for the growth of Essa Bible is what I call the substance of our ministry. I think when I preached this, the whole text at one point, I called really, I was aiming for this arriving at this understanding of the substance of our ministry. When we talk about the substance of our ministry, we really talk about what is the essential part of our ministry. It's not the only thing that we do in ministry, but what's the essential aspect of it? What's the, if you could boil down the things that we do in the church, all of it down, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it involve? Verse 15, you'll notice, connects with the preceding verse as a contrast. It says, but, so there's a contrast. This is a remedy for immaturity. And we can make three observations about the substance of our ministry. What is essential for ministry? And we'll start off with the essential activity. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to be speaking the truth. That's our essential activity. Now, when it comes to speaking the truth, some of us hear this and, and we say, oh, man, uh, those of us who are really kind of bold, blunt, outspoken people, we, you might be tempted to feel justified right now. You say, oh, I'm hey. You know, you didn't like what I said? Well, hey, I was just speaking the truth in love, okay? That, but that is not what this passage is talking about. It's not just simply saying, hey, you're ugly. Hey, it's the truth. I said in love. Hey, you, you kind of smell. Mm, I, I, but I said it true. It's spoken the truth. It's not like that. Or you sound terrible. You know, you sing terrible. Nothing like that, okay? It, it's not just saying whatever you want and just saying, well, it's the truth, okay? That, that's not what speaking the truth means. Uh. Even though it is an important skill to learn to speak difficult truths to people in our lives in a loving way. Okay, that's no doubt. That's an important thing. That, there is a, there's a time for that. To speak words for, appropriate for the edification of one another. Ephesians 4.29. Okay? Uh, but, in, but in the original Greek, this word speaking, this phrase speaking the truth is actually just one word. Uh, it's actually the, the verb form of the noun for truth. Uh, the, the word speak is actually not in the, in the original. It's implied by the context. The verb might be literally translated as truthing. Truthing. You know, it's kind of just takes the, a, a noun and just kind of makes it a verb. So it's truthing in love. This verb is unique in the scriptures. It's rare in the scriptures. It's only found in two New Testament places. Here, as well as in Galatians 4.16. And Galatians 4.16, by the way, was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and there, he, there Paul used, basically uses this term when he says, so after he kind of basically reproves the Galatians for falling away from the gospel, he says, so if I become your enemy by telling you the, the truth, and there he is, have I become your enemy by, by truthing, essentially. In the Galatians passage there, Paul uses the verb to basically refer to the preaching of the gospel. We see, well, you can tell that by just looking at a few verses late, earlier in verse 13, and he says he, that he preached the gospel, and that's what he told them. But he's told, uh, has he become the enemy because he's basically told them the truth. So this verb then involves speaking at least the truths of the gospel or the truths of Christ. It's not just a matter of being honest with one another. 
It is speaking the truths of Christ, from Christ, about Christ. It's teaching these truths about Christ to unbelievers so that we might share with them the good news of Christ, so that we might evangelize the lost. It's speaking the teachings of Christ to encourage and edify fellow Christians in their walk with the Lord. It's not about speaking your opinions. It's not about speaking your thoughts. It's about speaking the truths of Christ. That's what speaking the truth means. That's the essential activity that we're to be doing, that we're to be about. You can even just ask yourself, do I speak the truth? Do I talk the, about the truths of Christ in my life, in my daily activity? Just think about what your speech is. Of all the where we spice, well, some of us speak more than others. Uh, some of us speak very little, some of us speak a lot. But think about all the things that come out of your, lo- your mouth. What, what is it? What are some of the things that you speak? Are the truths of Christ among those words? If you don't, if the truths of Christ are not coming out of your lips throughout your week in some way or form, it doesn't have to be constant, then you can't, you're not speaking the truth. The substance of our ministry is speaking the truth. Now, next we observe not only the essential activity, but the essential approach. <coughs> Excuse me. The speaking of this truth must be done in love. Love, uh, we might be simply defined as the commitment to seek the good of another, uh, at one's, even at one's expense. Um, all that we do, all that we should we speak, should be done out of love. And, and certainly, this is where the idea of where we're speaking difficult things has to be done in love. Because when you preach the gospel to someone who's unsaved, the gospel is, is sort of an offensive message. Nobody likes to be told that I'm a sinner. Uh, uh, generally, we just don't like to be told that. We're like, I'm a sinner? No, no, I'm not. I'm a good person. I'm, a, I'm good. I'm not a sinner. Even when we tell the truths to, to fellow believers, sometimes it involves a re- reproach or correction. You know, hey, I, I noticed you have been you know, caught up in that activity that's really taking you away from your family, taking you away from your walk with God. And those are sometimes hard things to bring up to somebody. You, you want to make sure you tell the, to them, in love. They're truths of Christ, but they need to be told in love. The importance of love cannot be, under, cannot be overstated. And it's especially when we speak the word of God. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3 is an is a, is a important passage when it comes to the necessity of love. There, uh, I want to read for you what Paul, Paul writes. After, right before that section where he defines what is love, love is patient, love is kind, etc. He says these things. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove the mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Three very parallel statements. Three statements say, if I do this, but even and, and even if I do this, <clears throat> but I don't have love, then basically it amounts to nothing. Uh, that's what essentially all three t- uh, verses describe. Whether it's speaking, whether it's a serving uh, with the various gifts that we have, uh, thinking, whether it's in what we do in giving or with ourselves, you may do great things. You can speak the beautiful, most beautiful truths about Christ, the most accurate truths of Christ. You can exercise your spiritual gifts in, uh, 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 that have been given to you in Christ. 
you can uh, do, uh, you can give of the things that God's given you to many people, to the poor, give it all away even. But Paul says, if you don't do it with love, basically it amounts to nothing. Everybody else might look and say, wow, you're awesome, you're fantastic. But God, when he looks at our hearts and sees no love, says, no, that's nothing. We can all outwardly say or do the right things. But if it's not done in love, then it amounts to nothing before God, especially when it comes to speaking the truths of Christ. It must be done in love. As parents who are constantly correcting our children, we, we must be, we understand this, I think. We understand, we, we, we're always correcting our children, at least maybe it's just me. I'm always correcting my kids. So I feel like I'm always doing that. But I, it's something that dawned on me it's a, it along the way is that I want to make sure I constantly also remind them at the same time how much I love them. Because I never want them to think that they're hearing my correction, 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 and that I, I don't love them. And not just, I can't just say I love them, which I do, but I've got to show them I love them. I want them to know that I'm always looking out for their best, looking out looking for their good, so that when I say the hard things or when we, you know, discipline them in the hard ways, that they will know that I would do it out of love and that it will be that, that correction, those, the truths I pass on to them will be, will be received because it's received in love. And that's a very similar way is how it goes with the truth of Christ. You know, it's that same, it's that old saying that goes, right? Uh, they will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's the same thing when we go out in the world, when people are wearing our lives, we, we share truths with them. We may be right, accurate even. But the other person wants to know you love them, right? And uh, sometimes, even if it's artificial, you know, maybe if you don't have, especially if you don't have a good relationship with them, preface it always when you say hard things, the truths of Christ that you know might be offensive. Uh, tell them you love them. You know, tell them you love them. Hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. That's why I want to say this. You know, something like that. When we communicate the the teachings of Christ, do we convey it in a loving, gentle manner? Or are we yelling at them or uh, telling it, speaking down to them? Um, we want to be gentle. We want to be gentle when we speak the truths of Christ. Thirdly, uh, we not only see the essential activity, the essential approach, but also the essential aim. The essential aim. This is a, basically a restatement of the goal of our ministry. Uh, that we speak the truth in love in order that we may grow up in all aspects into Christ. Or in other words, that we might become more like Christ. That the church might become like Christ. In every, notice it's in every area of our lives. It's in all aspects. God's truth shapes us to become more like his son. See, Jesus is not only the source of our growth. He's the one who gives the gift of teachers to us. But he's also the aim and the goal of our growth. Disciples making is not about making people like us. But about making people like Jesus. That's why we speak the truths of Christ in love. So what does speaking the truth in love look like for us at Bible? We looked at these essential aim, the approach, uh, the uh, activity. Now I know that not every one of us can uh, 
be involved in a formal speaking of truth, a, a formal teaching ministry. Though this church, because we're, we happen to be a Bible church, we emphasize teaching a lot throughout our, our ministries. There's no lack of opportunities if you want to teach God's word in a very weekly, regular ministry. Our lower division was one of the greater places. Our children's ministry is one of the greatest places you can start first serving. And it's, it's, it's the greatest test because you like, you know, if you, they, kids are very forgiving, you know. Um, they might tell you you're wrong, but uh, they'll forget about it, you know. Because I know when, when I ask them, with the, when the kids come home at the end of the day, what'd you learn? I don't know. You know, uh, they've already forgotten, so you can make mistakes, it's okay. But, you know, you're, you're shaping lives with your kids, and you're teaching the truth. And you're really, it challenges us, because when I try to teach truths to little kids, it really makes me work way harder. To try to explain certain doctrines to kids that are like, man, how do I explain that to a young child? So, I, you know, if you want to speak truths in a very weekly, regular ministry, join our Lord Division. We have always have needs, a constant need, okay? In fact, I'm just plugging it right away. Um, but if you, if teaching is not your gift, you know, that's not your, yeah, it's not particularly your strong suit, well, it doesn't mean that you, you still can't speak the truths. There are many ways we can speak truths throughout the week. We can... Um, we can encourage one another with truths that we may have read in the Bible. So you just talking to you just just talk with other Christians. Talk about what you've read in the Bible. You can encourage one another by sharing about the truths you might have learned. Uh, just talk about what you learned in Sunday school class or what you learned in the worship services. Maybe you part of you are small small groups, and you can get as you gather for small groups. You can uh, you can talk about truths by maybe reading a book. There are a lot of great Christian books out there written about what the Bible teaches about various things, and you can go there and find uh, rich truths from the scriptures explained in those books. And you can kind of have like a little uh, a book club and talk about the book and, and evaluate. This is this is what the author's saying? Is that right? Is that what the Bible just says? And just talking about encouraging one another. And when it's a small group, it's not like a one-on-one teaching. It's just a discussion. It's very, it's easy to do. Um, we can, we can, and we can don't have to limit our discussions only with people here. We can speak with about the things of Christ with anyone, whether it's people at work, whether it's people in our gym, at our homes, in our church, at our schools. We can speak. We should strive. Our neighbors uh, in our community. We should strive to prayerfully ask God to, for opportunities to speak His truths to others. Because when we do that, too, there's just a very practical thing. When you learn to speak truth to someone else, it really it reinforces it for you, right? When you pass, How do you want to hold on to the truths? You hold on to them best when you can give them away to someone else. Because when you do that, you hold, it makes more your own. It's just one of those odd uh, spiritual principles. And as everyone then is faithful to speak the truth and love to others, we will grow as a church to be more like Christ. But this won't happen without your involvement, your participation because you are a member of the body of Christ. This leads us to the sixth and final principle for the growth of Essa Bible, and that's your involvement in our ministry. Your involvement in this ministry of Essa Bible. When we read in verse 16 these words, Paul is continuing on. He says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Verse 16 brings our text to an end with this significant details of how the body works together for its growth. How the members of the body work together for its growth. Paul elaborates using the metaphor of the human body. As we already know from Ephesians 1, 23, the church is the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of this body of Christ. Paul wrote, had written about this in his letter to the Romans. In fact, Romans 12, 4 to 5, he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, 
So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's really cool how Jesus Christ is our the, and brings various people together of diversity, diverse backgrounds. And it's even you look at this crowd and say, oh, we're, many of our uh, people look the same here. But you consider the universal church of Jesus Christ. There are Christians all around our world looking completely different, speaking completely different languages, all bound together because of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And all of us, though we are many members, we are one body in Christ. And in fact, we're individually members of another one of another, it says. Every Christian is a member or part of the body of Christ. And what's more, we are all members one of another. And here in Ephesians uh, 4.16, we can glean three necessary characteristics of a healthy body of Christ here. This is, he's describing, this is how a body works. This is how a body works, right? This is what a healthy body should do. And so we see, and we, that metaphor applies to church. This is what a healthy church does. So we learn, first of all, that a healthy body of Christ is one that is connected to Christ. One that is connected to Christ. The phrase, uh, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, it describes how the body is connected. It's, it's from whom, it's, it's because of this, whoever this whom is, the whole body is fitted and held together. And this whom is a reference in verse 15 to Jesus Christ, nonetheless. And Christ is the head of the church. He, his death on the cross for our sins, his uh, his actually starting even from his incarnation, he came as a man to be take on human flesh. Why? Because so that he could identify with humanity, so that he could die in our place. It's begin and therefore, when he died on the cross, he died a perfect. Though he's perfect and sinless, he died for our sins, and therefore, when God raised him from the dead on the three days later. It's God showed to the world, shows to us that God accepted his, sacri- his offering. And he was justified. He was raised from the dead so that everyone who believes upon Christ can have forgiveness of sins. So we are all, everyone who believes in Christ in, because of his atonement for our sins are all bound together. We're one. We're all connected to Christ through faith in him, through his finished work on the cross. As the head of the church, he controls the church. He guides the church. He leads the church. He works and directs the church. He determines the growth of the body. It's a, our brain determines and guides even much of the growth of our bodies. Just like a body that would that would, will not live if disconnected from the head, so neither can a church when disconnected from Christ. And this seems so obvious, doesn't it? That a church ought to be connected to Christ. But sadly, we live in, well, we live in a country, or we live in a particular city. We've all seen a number, a good number of churches over the years, as they basically, they basically left and forgotten Christ. They left Christ out of what they are as a church. And when they forgot who Christ is, they left Christ out of their, of their activities, of what they do, what, they, what they're about. Those churches end up dying. They, they cease to become churches, essentially. People will leave because they you know Christ. Christ is not preached here. Christ is not spoken about here. Christ is not lived out here. The fullness of Christ is not manifest here. Sadly, many people are deceived. Many people even think that they are Christians. We call these nominal Christians. 
but they do not follow Christ. I saw a recent quote attributed to a guy named J.C. Ryle. I want to read it for you. I just thought it was a really cool quote. He says this, It costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian and go to church is, is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, follow Christ, believe in Christ, and confess Christ requires much self-denial. J.C. Rowell understands that a person is saved. He understands that a person is saved not by anything they do, first and foremost. They're, they're saved by the death and blood of Jesus Christ. But those who are true Christians are going to be people who will follow Christ. They won't just, oh, I'm just gonna, um, I, got, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm just going to go to church in once a week and then go and live my life the rest of the week in whatever way I please. They're people who will follow Christ. They will people who uh, hear Christ's voice. That means they will obey Christ. They will believe in Christ continually. They'll trust in him throughout all the ups and downs of life. They'll be people who confess Christ, acknowledge Christ as Lord in every aspect of life. If this church is to grow as Christ has designed, every member of this church and the church as a whole must be actively follower, following Christ. It is very easy to come to church. Though I remember when I was a young Christian, I thought it was hard, and that alone was hard. Well, I'm going to miss a football game. And thankfully, you guys aren't going to miss your football game today. But, you know, uh, we're all of us... You can just come in an hour and a half and go out. That's the easiest thing to do. But to come to church doesn't make us Christians. Only Jesus Christ saves. Only a relationship with Christ saves. Therefore, we must believe in Christ, confess Christ, follow Christ, obey Christ, because he's died on the cross for our sins. On a practical, very practical, we must daily walk with Christ. We need to be connected to Christ as a church and as individuals. Christ is, is one of the, when we talk about the building blocks of SFBC, the, the very kind of the, uh, the values of this church, our, value, our number one value is Christ, Jesus Christ. This church is about Christ. Uh, you want somebody else, you want some other philosophy, you go somewhere else. But you want to hear about Jesus Christ, this is, where, this is what we aim to provide as, because we know this church is alone is the fullness of Christ to our world. Nowhere else can people go and learn about Christ. They can go to Wikipedia Okay, and they can learn about Jesus Christ from a factual kind of standpoint. But, and, you know, Wikipedia, anyone can go on there and just like, start typing stuff, right? But the word of God is inerrant, solid, handed down, assured for us throughout the countless centuries. And, uh, and this book tells us about Christ. And that's why the church, who has the word of God, teaches Christ. Second, a healthy body of Christ not only is connected to Christ, but a healthy body of Christ is going to be connected to one another. We are, <clears throat> we are fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. It's cool. It's a beautiful picture of the body. Our body has various, various body parts, and there's always joints, basically, where our different body parts connect. And it just implies, just as the body connected by our various joints, so the church body is meant to be, that we need to be connected to one another as well. Remove any part of the body from the any part from the body and what will that body part do it'll die that's why we, we need to be part of the body we need to be connected to the body and if it even depending upon the part of the body the body might die but the body is designed to be connected 
Believers in a church need to be connected to one another in some way. You and I need to be connected. You and I need to have a, some kind of ongoing relationship. Not necessarily we have to have an ongoing relationship with everybody. That's practically not possible. But as a church, relationships with each other are valuable. Now, some of us are in, in, introverted people. It's like, oh, my, I can't handle it, you know. Especially welcome time, fellowship chorus. Oh, man, oh, I, that's just overwhelming. And I, I appreciate you endure, <laughs> enduring with us when we do that. But relationships are so important. You can't just come here on Sundays, listen to the sermon, and then walk out those doors and never intending to interact with members of the body of Christ. That isn't how God is designed for you to grow, nor for this church to grow. The more relationships you have, the more opportunities you have to speak truths to someone else, and then for God will use that someone else to speak truths to you. And we all need it. I know I am blessed when I speak to some of many of you, and you're just sharing maybe something God's been teaching you. Some of you will come and seek me out with questions about your own Christian life, and I'm encouraged because that reminds me of truths that I need to apply in my Christian life. We encourage one another by speaking truths to one another. Don't be disconnected from the church. Be involved with other believers in the body somehow. And even if it's outside of our regular programs, I don't need you. Our, my, uh, one of my desires is that as a church is that everyone would not only have a place to serve, but they'd have a place in a sense, a group that they belong to, a small group, a place where you can actually connect with other people. Uh, that, that'd be the ideal. But at the same time, I, I, I understand that just whatever life stages and whatnot, that might not be practically possible. But nevertheless, if you can't be involved in one of the regular small groups of the church, have regular contact with other believers in your life. Have regular contact. It doesn't have to be formal. You can just simply get together for coffee once a week with different friends and talk with them about the things of Christ. Get together with people who work around you for lunch. I know some of you guys down in the financial district have done that over sometimes. You just get together for lunch as believers in Christ, and I'm encouraged by that. Be connected to one another. Thirdly, uh, a healthy body of Christ is going to be connected properly. And that's... and when there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a particular way, a proper working of each individual part of the body. That there's a certain way when we're connected, we're all to work. It made me think of basically, I was at the, this children's museum, I think in Mid-Hudson Children's Museum. Well, actually, very beautiful, uh, near in Poughkeepsie, New York. And they, you know, all these children's museums have these like hands-on stuff. And they have those, those cogs, you know, those little cogs. You, know, you can kind of connect them together. And then you kind of spin one and the rest kind of spin around. But inevitably, if you just put one in the wrong place, when it's connected, for, you might turn it, but all of a sudden it's locked because this one's trying to turn this way and this one's trying to turn this way and, or the both way, And it can't because they're not connected properly. But when you connect them all properly, you can turn one and the whole thing turns. It's really cool, okay? That's, uh, children like that. Hey, I'm an adult. I like that too. I like it as well. So we need to be as a body that's connected properly. There's a certain way we, we, need, we need to be connected, uh, where we function each in our own, with, in our own, with our own gifts, our own abilities, with our own desires. We've all been given spiritual gifts. And that's the, I think to me, that's one of the very important things to describe how you can be connected to the church properly, how you can properly work as an individual part of the body. Consider what spiritual gift you have. Uh, and you want to find ways to exercise that spiritual gift in the body. 
Use your gifts to serve others, you know, whether it's the gift of uh, leadership, administration. Sometimes it's called mercy, teaching, serving, giving, encouraging, etc. Many various other various gifts as well. Find a way to use your gifts. Not, there's not a, like a one-to-one correlation between gift and this ministry, unless it's like teaching. Then you can do teaching ministry. But uh, if you have a gift of serving or administration, that can be used in a lot of various ministries. And that's why I encourage you as a, as a body to, if you, if you have a spiritual, you kind of know what your spiritual gift, make sure, try to find a ministry where you can use that gift. It's, 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 you'll be happier, but you'll be more effective there. You'll be more effective doing that for the body of Christ. If serving is your gift, don't force yourself to be a teacher, okay? Even though we're maybe strong on teaching here. And speaking of this, evangel- if evangelism is your gift, Definitely don't, don't sit back there at AV, you know, behind the computer screen all the time. Get out among the people. Meet all the crowds. Be on the greeter, usher team. That's what we need, the evangelists right there. Uh, if you don't know what your gift may be, the best way to discover it is just simply serve in different areas. Get involved. Just, be, be, just start working. Start being involved. And you'll find the things that you're good at. And once you find it, you'll want to stay there forever. And that's good. That's good. That's fine. But make sure you train up some other people who can do the work too. And if you're in that area, and I believe if you're in that area using your gift, you will find that to be a joyous, a joyous activity. You'll thrive there. You'll, you'll grow through serving as well as you exercise your spiritual muscles to, uh, to serve the body of Christ. Um, and while we're serving, we, look for, we, we continually always look for the opportunities to speak truth to one another, discipling others, not just uh, people, uh, <clears throat> not just in a formal teaching sense, but even though we're serving together as, uh, I always think of the, our, our AV guys. You know, there's a, there's, there's, they do a great work of the ministry. They're very important. Uh, they make me sound good. And they, you know, they make me, they, get, they put all this technology and make us all uh, things run. But even among them, I, I know there's relationships that they have with one another. Uh, maybe the people serving together on the team. And, and they have opportunities to encourage them to, to speak truth to one another, encourage one another as they have opportunity. If you're not serving in the body in some way, then get involved. But if you continue to remain on the sidelines, eventually your inactivity is going to hurt the body. Just think about it. Just take any one of your... How many of you would be willing to lose one of your body parts right now? Even the smallest of the body parts. No, no thank you. A little pinky. You know, just take the nail off. You know, just this nail right here. Uh, we would not be happy. My body would not be happy. And the body of Christ, in the same way, we might not express in the same way, but the body of Christ hurts when any single member of this church is not involved, not connected, not doing kind of what God's gifted them to do. Some of us do a lot, and you don't got to do a lot, but some of us can just do a little bit, our little part, and encourage people in the body. So be involved in some way, somehow. Function can be connected in a properly in proper way where you can exercise your own unique spiritual gifts. Well, we end. That's our last and final point. Jesus grows his church through the ministry of gifted teachers who teach God's people God's word. And the, he does, grows it through the ministry of the saints who then speak God's word to one another. He does it until we are to do this until the whole body attains to the goal of our unity, maturity, and conformity to Christ. So that we would not be like children any longer. That we'll grow up to be, uh, and 
that will grow up and, and avoid the hurdles of our immaturity, instability, and susceptibility to false teachings. Therefore, then, let us speak truths to one another, truths of Christ in love, and let us make sure that we do our part as members of this body, each exercising our gifts to encourage and build up this body of Christ, for it will be built up. It builds, this, when we do that, we build up the body of Christ in that love. It has to be done in love. Our speaking has to be done in love. Our serving has to be done in love. It has to be done in love. Because why? Because once again, we're reminded that this church is the, that the, any church is the fullness of Christ on earth. And if we're going to demonstrate one thing in this world, one thing to the world that Christ is most like, what is that? Love, right? The love of Christ. That he showed his love by dying for us. May we be a church that shows, speaks, and serves in love so that people can see us and understand that they're about Christ and his love. That's why they do what they do. That's why they speak what they speak. And may God use that to draw others to join us in bowing the knee and confessing him as Lord over all. One day, he will return the one who has dominion over all things. And everyone was gonna, it will recognize it, whether they will to or not. Let us invite many others. Let's be a church that effectively reaches our community, tells us how they can join us in worshiping our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray for the growth of Essa Bible and participate in the growth of Essa Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time in, in uh, looking at your word, uh, as we looked at a very practical and consider the practical applications of these uh, principles, Father, I pray that you would cause your people to be uh, like Bereans, to discuss it among themselves, to consider it before your word again when they go home in the, in the private, quiet times of their, of their day, that we would consider what your word has to say and consider how we might participate in the body of Christ to help that this body grow up into Christ in all aspects, that this body might be built up in love. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be, every member here, to do our part, to seek ways to be a part. Help us to be connected to, to most importantly, to Christ on a daily basis. Help us to walk closely with them as we spend time with them. But help us to be connected to one another. Help us to find ways to do that on a formal or informal basis, but a regular basis. And help us, Lord, then to be connected properly, to use those gifts that you give us. Use the talents you give. Use the abilities you give us, the means, so we can be a blessing to one another and to our world. And Lord, we pray that you, Christ would build his church just as he promised through uh, this church as we make disciples of Christ through the speaking of truth in love. And we commit to you uh, this church's growth for the 2020 and for the next decade ahead. We ask that you would magnify Jesus Christ to this church and through us for as long as you'll have us here on earth. Uh, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.